With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. Noons is an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's, uh, it's already an exciting few days for, uh, for Syracuse, it seems. Sort of, <laughs> I guess. Sort of. Not as exciting uh, as uh, you would expect to open the ACC season, I guess. Also true. Uh, before we jump in, just want to give a quick shout-out to our sponsor, Audible.com. They're a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. You can listen to audiobooks wherever and whenever you want in a free book when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audiblepodcast.com slash noonsmagician. Uh, before we get going, Dan, uh, sorry, everyone. How's the sound on this end? Got a new phone, new headphones. Just want to make sure we are uh, still coming in loud and clear. Sounds good on my end, and uh, everyone will be happy to know I changed nothing. So enjoy the normal echoes <laughs> and uh, poor sound quality. There it is. Actually, we are changing up something soon. Um, I did get Ooh. my USB. I did get my USB mic for uh, for Christmas. So uh, once that arrived in the mail from North Carolina, since it had to be shipped, um, we will be entering a uh, it's a new era of technology for the show. I should probably inv- invest uh, invest in one of those at some point. Hey, well, as soon as you all hey, hey, hey. we'll be we'll be all mic'd <laughs> up. Yeah, keep listening to the show, everybody, and then we can get more more technology. We just focus so anyway. on one audio. <laughs> So I guess before we jump into Georgia Tech and everything, um, might as well talk about what happened on Saturday, which looked really great for 20 minutes, then really not great for another 20 minutes. So I'm not really sure what we've got on our hands here. Um, It was a very Syracuse basketball-y Syracuse basketball game, I thought. Um. The, the first half was probably the best teams with all year. Uh, just, I mean, Cooney was, was pretty hot. Rakeem was unstoppable. Um, Roberson, I feel like, you know, he, he did a ton of his damage, and he's been really awesome. Um, but then the second half, the team just fell apart offensively. Uh, and I feel like we're going to see this fairly often. Probably not this drastically. I don't expect us to have 22 on teams very often. Perhaps I don't expect us to totally go in the tank so often in the second half, but, you know, I don't think anyone could have been overly surprised about how it turned out. Maybe it's not that it would end up so tight. Yeah, I think that was a scary thing. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine today, and we were saying, you know, you sat there at halftime and said, you know, at the end of the day, like, 
Although, I guess it has to be said to yourself, man, like, we're finally blowing out someone we're supposed to. Like, you know, that's not some, you know, dead in the water, uh, non-conference team. Like, we're, we're just, we're doing what we're supposed to. We're beating a team we're more talented than, and, and this feels good. This looks great. Um, and then Buzz Williams, somebody who, for some reason, has our number a lot, um, manages to... You know, j- just completely change the scheme, draw up a much better game plan. I mean, obviously shots fell, too, and that was a big part of why the second half went so well. But, you know, very much followed the same script um, as as that Villanova game. And the and I think the only reason that we ended up coming out of this one on top is because of the talent disparity. Yeah. I mean, it, does, it doesn't help that Buzz obviously knows our team pretty well, and it's one of those things where even you know it took it took them a while to beat us. I think Marquette didn't beat Syracuse until 2011, the the Rick Jackson team, when they beat us twice, uh, as well as we all remember. But he always seems to have a team, even the ones that are far less talented than ours, um, ready to go. He knows how to beat the zone. I think Buzz is a really good coach for all of the kind of annoying little things about him, the coming out on the floor and whatnot. So uh, this was kind of a reminder. Uh, of what I thought when he got hired was I hate that, that they hired him because he's going to be very annoying in like three years once he starts to turn the talent over. Yeah. I mean, on the bright side, I'm trying to find a bright side with, with Buzz is uh, we still get to make tons of jokes about how much he, he sweats profusely on the sidelines um, during any game where it looks like he's, he's run a marathon. Then then subsequently it looks like he's jumped in a pool. Then, I mean, it's I I almost forgotten how how next level, um, you know, just completely exhausted Buzz looks on the sidelines at all times. He's a weird one for me because his like his antics and his he's so far in the fourth half of the time. That stuff drives me nuts. Like you can be really like fired up, but just stay on the sideline. Um, and but then and then the, the style of play that his teams play like often annoys me with the, the super physical like nonsense that they get away with. But at the same time, I remember before the NCAA tournament game we played them, he talked about his, like, road basically through coaching and how he basically built up his career from doing, like, any job and really dedicated to it. And and I do respect his actual coaching acumen. So he's he's a weird case for me. Like, he's a good coach, and I respect that about him. Uh, and his story is really awesome. I encourage anyone to go try to dig up the uh, – the, the pre-game press conference he held uh, before they played us in the NCAA tournament back uh, in 2011. But everything else just drives me nuts. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And, and, you know, it's one of those things, like, he does kind of remind me of an old-school Big East coach from the 80s, you know, uh, very much, like, in, in that in that same mold of those characters. I do think that, that his teams do get away with a lot. I think it was laughable to, he, to see him pining for fouls, um, and complaining about calls in that second half. And I also, I don't know if, if you caught this, and I was talking to, to Brian Harrison and a couple other people in the, uh, the SU Twitter sphere about this one, where, where the announcers were at one point um, legitimizing referees calling with momentum in mind. And, and, and to me, I, I think what, what that does, and I don't know if the announcers understood that, was, was that what that's doing is creating momentum for a team. Um, I, I don't believe the foul should be called based on momentum, based on time of game. I, I think that you really just need to call them uniform, half-to-half, team-to-team. Um, the situation is situation. I think if something is a foul at one point in the game for one team, it, it, it should be for the other. And it was just completely laughable that you had two professionals you know, on the air during that game actually endorsing uh, what, what was a very, very odd and lopsided um, brand of, of officiating. Yeah, and I think it's a natural thing that might happen just because, you know, you can't really totally – the refs are human. Um, so if the refs get kind of swept up on something and, and there is some uh, momentum-based calls where they're, you know, for whatever reason, subconsciously favoring a side, that happens. That's, you know, it shouldn't happen, but I get that. But there's no way that should be like a mechanic of the position of referee. Like – it shouldn't be like a, one of those games of Madden where you're beating a team and then the, the the game turns on where they're like, well, 
everything possible that I go against you this third quarter so that the, the computer can catch up because it's a playoff team. But the refs didn't act in the same, like, handicapped way. Right, and I guess that, that's what I was puzzled by. Like, not only do I, do I disagree with, with that happening, but the, the fact that they thought the refs should be directly involved in it um, was was confusing to me. And, and it's it's interesting that the only place I really saw the complaints about those comments and just the general discussion about those comments were, were on the Syracuse Twitter sphere. Well, well, it seems like they went kind of – I mean, I understand it was an early, relatively speaking, ESPNU game that didn't really matter in the big scheme of things. But it's surprising to me that, that folks were able to kind of get away with, com- like, pretty lazy commentary like that. Yeah, and I get why, like, announcers, especially, like, lower-level ones, are going to be uh, very slow to criticize refs, and that's fine. Um, I do think that's part of the reason why people love Jay Billis, because he just calls it like it is. Um, but you don't have to go out of your way to say that the refs making mistakes is a good thing. Like, I don't remember actually hearing that thing, but, but maybe, maybe they were kind of mis- misunderstood or misconstrued or spoke poorly, but that, that's really, like, that's, you, that's unnecessary. You don't if, you don't have to criticize them, but you don't have to uh, make apologies for them either. Exactly. Um, so I guess getting away from the officiating, which I know was kind of a sticking point for me um, and, and those comments, um, what is uh, – I guess what what is one good thing and one bad thing that that you took away from that game for Syracuse anyway? Um, I think Roberson is still like every game he seems to be getting more comfortable. It's weird because early in the year he looked lost and he I I was openly questioning why he was starting, which I guess I guess that was fair because he isn't starting anymore and he's playing a lot better. But he he didn't seem to have a role. He he's not an outside scorer. Um, he wasn't crashing the glass like he is now. Uh, I'm going to pull up his game by games. His last like two weeks, he's just been so fantastic, and he's so unafraid to get really aggressive and crash the boards and brings a whole element to the game that you know Christmas kind of does, but Christmas is a more pure, a pure center while while Roberson's a bit more of a tweener, which is you know probably to his detriment in some ways, but also it lets him kind of uh, take advantage of mismatches and. He's just been so. He has two seventeen rebound games since uh, December fourteenth. Like that's crazy. Um, and he scored in double. I mean, ever since that Louisiana Tech game where he went fourteen and seventeen, he's just been uh, an absolute animal. And he's he's you know the playing time is showing it. He's leeching minutes from Chris McCullough, which isn't entirely on him. It's you know McCullough hasn't played well either. But we really needed someone to be a shot in the arm, and he's played really well. Like he's been one of the best players on the team in, in three of the last six games and he's been a, a very solid contributor pretty much this whole stretch. And then there's the two or three games where he's just got, totally gone off. So um he's a, a definite positive. Yeah, I'd agree there. I think Roberson is is just getting better and better. Um and, and you know what, like even though he missed one late, it was just one, um I, I really do love the fact we can we can count on Rocking Christmas to actually hit free throws. Um, and it's not necessarily, you know, a strategy that works for teams to just hack him um, on the way up and expect him to dismiss the line like many of our previous and a lot of big men around the country, too. Um, so It seems like this is a better free throw shooting team than we've had recently. Like, you know, McCullough struggled there a bit, but Cooney's a, a knockdown. I mean, he missed a couple last. He's been a really strong free throw shooter. Christmas seems to get the important ones, and he's a solid, like, 75% guy. It seems like, for the most part, we're, we're a pretty good free throw shooting team, at least by comparison to, like, the past years where we've always been shaky. There. Yeah, I, I'm very confused by the free throw shooting sometimes just because I feel like this team – can hit him during the game, during, you know, regular game time, but then when it gets down the stretch, um, that's when you start to see a little bit of shakiness. And I guess I kind of trace it to, you know, my big negative here, and that is, um, you know, th- this was a carbon copy of the Villanova game in, in many, many ways. Um, and, and it was surprising to me to see that this team had learned virtually nothing um, from from that game. I'd say maybe the Michigan game, too. Um, it, it just appeared that a very little ha- has been adjusted in terms of their, uh, their late-game jitters. And you know what? Uh, the ACC is going to be a slugfest. 
Uh, there's going to be a lot of tough games, a lot of tough teams. I mean, Wednesday night is probably going to be another another tough game, maybe tougher one than we thought it was going to be. Um, and and I'm, I'm concerned uh, with our ability to kind of hang on to leads or, or lack thereof. Yeah, it's, it's definitely valid. I mean, even games that we've won, uh, just looking at the schedule, Iowa, Michigan, St. John's, Louisiana Tech, Villanova, and now Virginia Tech were all very – shaky games, win or lose, down the stretch. And this this team, it, that, I think that is the biggest issue so far, is that uh, we I don't have confidence in this team to put games away. Or in the past, you know, we all did, or, you know, for, uh, we vary on levels of frustration with the Bayheim stall. I don't usually mind it, but, you know, I, I get why people, you know, pull their hair out from it. And this year it just isn't that team that we can be confident in to, go into that stall tactic and then know that we're going to steal the game 99% of the time. This team just doesn't get great shots. Uh, it, it forces on offense. Even even when early in the game, like in Virginia Tech, the offense looks great. Um, it falls apart pretty consistently towards the end, no matter how it looked up to that point. Uh, and Georgia Tech's no no team to sleep on. They have some bad losses. South Carolina State's not a good loss. Um, but they also just took Notre Dame, who I feel like is a very good team, the double overtime. So um, I don't know too much about Georgia Tech, but I know it's not a team. I mean, Virginia Tech should be one of the worst teams in the ACC. I think Georgia Tech's going to be a decent step up and on the road uh, again. So this won't be an easy one. No, that's for sure. And I, I think, you know, that stretch that we kind of all pointed out uh, when the schedule came out is just seemingly getting more and more daunting here. Um, I mean, we face Virginia Tech again. Um, come February, we had that stretch from, you know, late January um, against BC, you know, all the way through the end of the year, really, uh, two against Pitt, two against Duke, a uh, game against Notre Dame. Obviously, like, pretty much all the regular cast characters, it's just, it's a it's a brutal, brutal stretch. Um, and, and, you know, we, we've mentioned it before, we're going to mention it again. Can't emphasize enough how much Syracuse needs to win every one of these um, you know, sort of quote-unquote easy games uh, before we get to the North Carolina game um, in, in late January. I, I just, I think the ACC, at least at the top, is even better um, than we may have thought, and and that could spell some trouble um, for us here. I mean, Georgia Tech, um, you know, starting to transition now to, to Wednesday's game. Georgia Tech really, uh, really has stepped up their game with a couple transfers, um, in the middle, they've they found a way to be effective on the boards for once. Um, it seems like they, they play at the level of their competition, which uh, which could be a good or bad sign for Syracuse. I'm not really sure because it depends sure. on your outlook um, for, for what the Orange actually are. But um, it, I think with the, that in mind and with some guys you can actually play in the middle, and since that seems to be our strength, um, it's really going to test this team to hit shots and – I'm not necessarily sold on us being able to do that for full 49. Yeah, and I think I think overall the ACC is just a, a stronger conference this year. I mean, Virginia Tech might finish at the bottom of the conference again, and that team, obviously Syracuse made them look really good for, for 20 minutes at the end of the game, but that's a much better team than it was last year. And last year they finished in – were they in last or second last with BC? I don't remember which. But overall, I mean, Virginia looked – just as good, if not better, than they were last year. And I think a lot of people thought they'd maybe take a, a natural step back, but they are, are arguably better. Um, Duke is a monster. UNC is still a weird team, picked a weird team, but Notre Dame's a lot better. So I, I think overall the ACC looks a lot deeper this year, which is, on one hand, it, it could look good for Syracuse if they get some nice big wins, and the bubble in general seems pretty weak this year. So Syracuse they have to do a, a good amount of work in conference, but it's not like we have to go out and win the thing. Like we have to pick up some some good wins, um, and maybe a deep race to see helps the resume and, and gives more opportunities for that. But on the other hand, there's not a team that Syracuse is going to walk into the gym against and and have them lay down. So, uh, and Georgia Tech's a, a good example of that. They might be a bottom four, bottom five ACC team. They're still a dangerous opponent, especially at home. No, absolutely. Um, so, I guess in your opinion, look at the schedule. Do you think that we have to start six and zero in conference play, um, or at least six and zero in conference play, if we hope to make the tournament here? Uh, I don't like to put it in like absolutes, but 
looking at that run, you really want to. Um, that would put us through the Miami game. Um, I, I think you you. I think if you do less than five and one, you're in trouble, and just allowing for like a weird loss. But it's you no know, should be doable. I think the talent's there. Um, I don't think that losing a game will sink us totally, but I wouldn't really want to bet on it. Um, I think Miami is tricky. I think BC's, you know, just going to be tricky because they have confidence and they can beat us after last year. Wake just gave uh, Wake just gave someone a really good game the other day with a Duke. Um, yeah, Louisville. Louisville, yeah. They gave someone a, they gave Louisville a pretty good run. Um, That's a team that can shoot. I mean, and Florida State. Florida State looked really bad early in the year. I know Florida's not very good this year, but Florida State did beat Florida, albeit on a weird play. So um, that's a team that can win some games, even if it's down from the last couple of years. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that whether or not it's a, a fits and no sweep, uh, you really want to clean up the, these types of games. And then again, at UNC might be a more winnable game than we thought. Uh, UNC doesn't look that great, and then you have Virginia Tech, Pitt, and BC, which are all winnable before the Duke, the, the hellish stretch at the end. So, um, yeah, this is definitely the part of the schedule where Syracuse is going to make or break its its tournament hopes, I think. Oh, absolutely. I guess I guess the one thing that I think a lot of Syracuse fans have mentioned and I'll mention here is that you, you take a look at this slate um, and, and the way it stacks up, especially, um, you know, from – I mean, whether you want to start this stretch at February 7th against Pitt um, on the road, or if you want to start this, you know, brutal stretch on the 14th against Duke, um, you could potentially be looking at six straight losses. Um, You know, Duke, Louisville, Pitt, all at home, followed by road games at Notre Dame and Duke, and then um, a home game against UVA. I mean, this, this is just a brutal, brutal, brutal stretch, and it's only looking harder and harder as the year goes. Because I don't think we did. We saw Notre Dame being the uh, the power that, that that they are necessarily. Um, so, I mean, this is where it gets frustrating with the NCAA tournament uh, committee stress on on how teams finish the year too. Is that you know we may finish the year in a rough spot um, in part because of, of schedule design, not necessarily talent level. Um, but that again puts even more emphasis on on our start um, in conference play, which. Doesn't look great so far, but but a win's a win. Yeah, and even NC State, you know, they they, they had a bad loss to Cincinnati, but they bounced back and beat Pitt by 28 the other night, so or uh, 18 rather. Um, so that's not a very easy game to, especially at NC State to close the year. Um, so the, the schedule makers definitely did Syracuse no favors. I feel like it's like this every year. Maybe it's not always the last seven or the last six, but. Towards the, in in February and, and early March, I feel like we always had plans with these marquee games down the stretch when when the networks are getting their college basketball audience really geared up. Um, so yeah, I, we, we're gonna probably need to steal one or two of these to be safe. Um, I don't know which ones are gonna be, and maybe Notre Dame tails off. Maybe you know there's a bad injury somewhere, which you don't really want to hope or or rely on, but. Um, I have faith that Syracuse won't go 0 in six in six games, but on paper it doesn't look great. Yeah, I mean, my, my only thought behind you know needing to win a couple of these games is is the fact that you know we have we just have no marquee wins at the moment, and with all that in mind, we sort of need to you know refocus and redirect and understand that, you know, without that marquee, I mean, Villanova would have been, would have been a perfect way to look much better going into conference play. Um, and you, you look at that, that closing slate, I feel like, I feel like a win against NC State's essential. I feel like a win against Pitt's essential. I feel like we have to beat BC. Um, I, I feel, and then I feel like we have to steal at least one of, um, you know, th- those, those games against Notre Dame and Duke on the road. Um, you know, to really solidify our place in the field. I mean, you're right, weak bubble, um, and, and there's a lot of games to play here, obviously, but um, I, this is taking us back to, to a time um, that we're not really used to as fans, at least recently. Um, you know, we're heading back to, to 07, 08 
um, when we knew we were firmly off the bubble, or maybe you know 0607 when we when we thought we were we were in, albeit barely, um, and then we ended up getting left out. Yeah, and and this is one of those things that you know it, it's it's easy to get really worried on January 5th, and maybe things to be totally different by the time we hit February 5th or February 25th. But um, on paper, it is scary, uh, especially for those of us who haven't experienced the Syracuse uh, uh, tournamentless march yet, which I am part of as a Syracuse fan. Um, so I, I don't even have that, you know, old experience to lean back on. This will be really depressing if Syracuse is, is not in the field. But, um, you know, hopefully the, the, the NCAA continues to play out the way it has where, you know, as, mu- as many losses as Syracuse rouse, uh, racks up here, we haven't fallen out of Lunardi's field yet, uh, which means nothing. But it, it still seems like Syracuse is going to have to do some really poor work to, to miss here. Um, and they would really have to, like, not pitch up any bid wins. And you have to imagine that a Jim Beheim team will at least grab a couple. That's fair. Um, I know you mentioned Lenardi there. Uh, what did you think about uh, about the, the road that, that he hypothetically set for SU? Because I thought, you know what, even if we get in, I, I was kind of concerned for for any ability for SU to really get through. Um um, I mean, yeah, teams like Michigan State, San Diego State, Kansas, Butler. I mean, th- this all seemed like a a really, really tough stretch, even if we managed to get in. Yeah, I have to look at it again. I'm pulling it up now. I, I know we had uh, Michigan State in the play-in game, I believe, right? That would kind of be awful. Um, yeah. I don't think Michigan State's that great, but no one wants to play in the play-in game. Um, and then it was what, San Diego State was the sit? I believe so. Yeah, that's another. That's one of those teams I could see really dragging a game in the dirt, which I don't know how I feel about that for Syracuse. It was Old Dominion. Oh no, this is an older one. Uh, apology. Ooh. I know. I have the. I have the most recent one. Um, they which got us in not the South. They have to go to it. Hmm. Well, as of the one that was released this morning would have us in the South, so we'd have to head to Omaha for the first two rounds. Um, so we'd face Butler which would be the sixth seed if we got past Michigan State. Um, and then we'd probably have to take Kansas um, in a, in a Kansas doesn't really round. scare me for a, for a potential uh, whatever round that is, second round, because they're renaming them. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I'd like to avoid a playing team at, at all costs. Although we've seen right. teams get hot off of them, so I guess it's not the end of the world, but. That just, I mean, playing Michigan State for you in the tournament, no matter how early or later it is or how poor a year they're having, which is just as bad as ours, uh, always, that, uh, just the thought doesn't make me feel too good. No, not at all. And Michigan State is always so well prepared for this style of play um, in the tournament. But even if you don't buy into a Kansas team, facing Kansas in the second round of anything is, is not great. And then the, the weird uh, thing is, it's, while, like, uh, some reason, yeah, never mind. Uh, I keep on interrupting you thinking I have this pulled up, and that she's been giving me the January 5th one, which does not have – oh, there it is. I was looking in the wrong place. Yeah, it does have Kansas. And then San Diego State. I'm going to be honest. Like, I sort of – I don't know if – like, I think San Diego State, I think you're right, could pull this team into the – could pull up into the mud. And uh, with my own in-law connections to San Diego State, it wouldn't be the most fun tournament game to watch. It's <laughs> just out of – uh, animosity, but um, you know th- this is something that could really set up. I mean, if that happens, this would be a huge, huge kind of upset. Um, you know, part of the bracket here. I mean, I could easily see Providence getting through to a, to a Sweet Sixteen berth, um, and and I, I think that Providence team is is one of those. And the Big East right now seems a little overrated, but there are some teams that that if they get in, even as as you know, higher and I'm, I'm saying higher is the number, not necessarily the quality of seed. Um, if they get in as a, as a 9 or a 10 or an 11, um, I, I definitely think that they can make some noise. And this Providence team, if you look at uh, if you look at what this sets up as, I mean, they could easily find themselves in a Sweet 16 game against, I mean, if it's us, uh, I don't really like our chances there. Um, I think they even stand a chance of upsetting Kansas. Like this, because the bubble's so weak, because there's really only a couple dominant teams um, in the country, um, I, I think you could really see 
uh, brackets kind of being lit on fire this season, um, just just out of just pure parity. And I think it's something that's been has been building for years. And I think this year might be the year that really um, upsets kind of take over the thing even more so than 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 the perception is normally, which actually isn't that much. Yeah, I'm looking at the field now, and I agree with you on Providence. I think the Big East in general, I, I don't think there are any great teams in the Big East, Villanova included, but I think there's a lot of teams that could be, like, strong 5 to 11 seeds. Um, Providence is a 10, is scary. Uh, Seton Hall, we just saw them beat Villanova without their best player. Um, so who knows when Whitehead gets back, but he's clearly the best. The, I, I, I've seen people say that the defense isn't as good without him, but the new can drop 30 any night, so I don't think you want him off the floor for too many games. Um, St. John's, I, I don't think they're quite as good as maybe we've, we've thought, but they're obviously uh, better than they have been the last couple of years, and then Villanova, I think, can, can beat most teams on a given night. So uh, the Mid-East in general, I know people, uh, uh, again, people are going to be like, oh, we should never left. You're wrong. But it's a really nice little league for what it is. Um, and it's, a, you know, really deep this year in terms of just strong, solid, no no great, but I don't think there's any really awful team in it either. I think DePaul's even a little better than it has been. Um, they're probably not going to go winless in the league. So it's uh, it's pretty much what that league uh, is going, you know, going to look like in a good year. There's a bunch of really fun, strong teams beating up on each other for uh, and playing some good basketball. I noticed that ODU is a six seed here. Did they really have the resume? I just looked it up and I really didn't see it. Like I, I didn't. They're know. ranked. They're ranked in the uh, they're twenty fifth, and I think the eight people. Weird. Yep. Twenty four RPI. Um, their status of schedule is not great. Who they lose to? They lost to Illinois State by like almost twenty. I don't know mm-hmm. why they're getting so much love. Uh, yeah, I don't get it really either. Uh, they beat Mount St. Mary's. They beat William & Mary. They beat Georgia State, which is a good win. They beat VCU, which is a really good win. George Mason. Like, they, they have a, a lot of, like, they've beaten a lot of really strong mid-majors. They beat LSU. But I don't know why they're getting so much love, especially that Illinois State game looks really bad. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I will give Old Dominion a lot of credit, though, here. Um, in general, this is a great example of a of a – private school that that decides to kind of reinvest in the quality that it's athletics and I actually you know you can see the results in the football field you can see the results in basketball here um, and then the step up obviously um, to conference USA uh, you know this is this looks like an athletic program overall on the rise um, and it's not obviously different competition but for Syracuse um, you know it, at least football wise um, would be decent to at least look over there um, for some ideas, and I think for, for a lot of other private schools that aren't at the same caliber as Syracuse um, in terms of athletics or overall athletics, um, I think Old Dominion provides a really, really good example of things you can do um, when you're willing to really, you know, put money into resources. Yeah, it's it's a fairly, um, I don't know too much about the school itself, but it's in a, a kind of underserved state in terms of like Virginia is a, a really big state, but not um, one that's so wrought with. Uh, it's not like North Carolina where there's teams everywhere. There's two major teams. Virginia Tech um, probably has a bigger fan base than UVA, but UVA is kind of floundering a bit in football. I guess they're a basketball school now, according to uh, some people I've seen on the internet. But uh, <laughs> yeah, they they filled the niche really well, and uh, they play fun. I haven't seen the basketball team at all. They play fun football. I've watched a couple of their games. Um, they've been successful right off the bat in D1, so good for them. They have done things uh, about as well as you could hope from a team that's a school that's really trying to transition into at least competitive D1 sports. Yeah. Here's before we head into halftime. Um, look at this bracketology. Just a quick, I guess, Elite Eight. I know we did this joking around last year, but if I had to give an Elite Eight based on this bracket, um, I'm going Wisconsin, Texas in the West, Virginia, Providence in the South. Uh, we got Duke, Maryland in the East, and I'm 
going Kentucky, Louisville, and the Midwest. All right, let me see here. I I'm in the Midwest. I'm going Kentucky. I'll go Utah. I feel like Utah just plays a lot of D, and Louisville's looked kind of weird. They've been a weird team. They should be more. I mean, they, they've been very good, but I feel like they should even be more dominant than they have been based on the talent on that team. Um, I'm gonna go. Uh, I don't want to go Duke Villanova because Villanova hasn't been very impressive, but I'm not on the Maryland bandwagon yet. Uh, Iowa, we've seen them. SMU, I feel like, is underperformed. So I guess I'm going to go Duke Nova just because I feel like that bottom half of the East is really weak looking. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm so prepared for this. Give me Virginia. Because they just—I I don't want to pick all ones, but they look great. And give me—guess uh, I'll take Butler just based on the name and and what else is coming out of here. I almost said Providence, but I'm not that bold. And then <laughs> I, I still like Iowa State. I'll take Iowa State at the five in the West. And give me uh, give me Texas. I feel like those the front ports I give people problems. Fair enough. That I think you know, no harm in, in in this once a week. A little quick little elite eight. I mean, to be honest, like we'll all be wrong and that's usually what happens, especially if the tournament's gonna integrate into what it's become, which is just a complete like you know, dice roll, but whatever. You didn't pitch 11 seed Syracuse to beat Michigan State, Butler, Kansas, Gonzaga, and uh, then Virginia to go to the Final Four. Why are you stirring the pot so much, John? Disloyal idiots. So disloyal. Even in 2015. The, the year changes, the disloyalty does not. <laughs> Just as disloyal as has we've ever been. <laughs> All right, so before we jump into halftime, I uh, just want to give another quick shout-out to uh, our sponsor, Audible.com. Uh, Troy Newton's An Absolute Podcast is proud to be sponsored by Audible.com. As we mentioned, they're a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you may be listening to us on right now. And if you sign up at our URL, which, again, audiblepodcast.com slash magician. Get yourself one free audiobook and a one-month free trial of service. A uh, couple books that I saw. Um, when you search for Georgia Tech, one of the books that comes up is The Masters, Golf, Money, and Power in Augusta, Georgia. Um, all book about the Masters. So I would check that out. And uh, another one, kind of for, for some movie buffs out there, um, American Sniper, the autobiography of the most lethal sniper in U.S. military history. Um, for those who are watching the, uh, the movie starring Bradley Cooper, you can uh, can check out the life story behind it. Good stuff. And yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, I might have to see that soon. I've heard very good things. I've got a lot of like movies in the queue that like I need to I need to get on. And the problem is, there's like there's too many I need to go see. Plus, like my wife doesn't want to see half of them. I don't want to see the half of the one she wants to see, so it's definitely going to be complicated. But yeah, I, I got to a bunch of movies, but there's just so many this year. Um, tough to keep up, but uh, I'll probably end up seeing like all the Oscar ones, all the Oscar nominees before by the time that that starts uh, through some means. And being in New York's easy because they all come here, so I guess LA's probably the same way. Yeah, uh, the, the one I definitely want to see before Oscar um, is Inherent Vice. I saw that. Was it good? It, yeah, it's good. Um, it's very out there, uh, and it's a little bit all over the place, but the acting's really good, and and it's it's a fun one. Hmm. I will take you can't a really look. Go wrong with Paul Thomas Anderson. Also true. All right, so finally. Beer. What uh? What have you been drinking, Dan? Uh, a lot of stuff. I can't really remember where we last were. Um, a but week I've been going with. 
some of the old standbys, uh, Three Soul Urban, Urban Wheat, which I bring up here a lot just because it's all over the place. Uh, Ho Garden had some of that yesterday or Saturday night, I think. Um, uh, I've had uh, some Magic Hat 9 tonight. Um, some of the, the non uh, ones that I bring, that, you know, ones I don't bring up all the time. Um, I had Lawn Hammer IPA somewhat recently from Red Hook. Don't really remember what I thought about it. I gave it uh, three stars on, on tap, so it's probably decent. But I do remember, um, and I don't think I brought this up last time because I don't think we've recorded since I had it, uh, Tank 7 Farmhouse from uh, Boulevard Brewing in Kansas City. One of the better beers I've had in a, in a, a while. Um, I don't remember where I even had this. Uh, oh, no, I had it in, uh, in Hoboken. Um, just a really good, drinkable uh, Saison Farmhouse Ale. Um, eight and a half percent, which is surprising because it, it, like I said, it, it goes down real easy, almost like a, like an American pale ale in terms of flavor. Um, but it's, it's probably a dangerous one because you could slug a couple of these back and not realize that it's, uh, an eight and a half percent beer. Um, and I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I'll say it is, uh, but really delicious. Uh, so go find that if you can. Yeah, I know uh, I've had it a bunch of times. Definitely definitely goes down a little too easily. Um, I, have a lot, I have a lot of beer to talk about, so I'm going to try to avoid doing that since uh, I was in North Carolina for uh, holidays, so did my usual, um, drinking as much as possible from things I can't normally drink. Um, so, yeah, I guess just browsing through the list. Uh, had some... Uh, Jack Savvy, a vanilla barrel-aged framing hammer, which very, very good. Um, vanilla Stout also had a uh, Peche Mortel. It's a Canadian um, kind of coffee stout. It's very, very good. Browsing. Had a IPA of the month uh, for December from Foothills uh, Brewing down North Carolina. Uh, really cool kind of program they have down there where they just do uh, like a one-off IPA with maybe like some different ingredients on um, each month. Same basic concept. So I guess you could consider it, um, at least for my reference on the West Coast, um, similar to uh, probably Noble Ale Works uh, Shower Series where they just kind of showcase one um, one style of hops. Uh, so, yeah, for those, those who have access to Foothills, uh, definitely something worth checking out. Um, other things I've had. had Bell's Kalamazoo Stout that I really enjoyed. Um, also had Winter Harvest from uh, from Stone. It's a, kind of a cool golden ale uh, aged in those Merlot barrels. Definitely a, an interesting drink. Um, and yeah, lots of other crap. I, I would highly recommend uh, heading over to my Untapped page if that, that's something that you would want to read about because there is a lot of beer on here, and I don't want to be that guy just, like, rattling off every beer that he's drinking. So, yeah, back to sports. Um, I think we covered most things on Syracuse, so I guess we'll, uh, I guess we'll talk about something slightly Syracuse-related. Is uh, Scoop Jardine, cub reporter for the uh, Scoop Jardine Daily Press. I saw people tweeting about Scoop, but I don't know what happened, so you're not to break it to me. Uh, well, Scoop Aloop decided to uh, to break the news that Deion Waiters is getting traded. Oh, he did that? That's amazing. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the fact that Scoop broke the news um, via Twitter, which is the simple, Deion got traded. <laughs> and he he deleted this tweet. I'm I'm guessing, right? Because uh, I don't see it. He did. He did. Um, that's real, I don't that's really funny. Up. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a I had a good chuckle at that. Um, I have to add another name to the roster of a uh, of famous Syracuse reporter. <laughs> yeah, he did. I think he was in Newhouse for that Brad school year. Sure. I think yeah, that I was what so. we were told. He really he he, he knows, man. He's a he was an SNY for like like so like four or five times. Oops, uh, yeah, yeah. He had that blog on his. He had that blog on ESPN for a while. 
Yeah, it was pretty well written. Stoop, Stoop tells what's going on. He's got, he's got, yeah. he's got his, uh, his sources. He doesn't know. The source being <laughs> is not really a cousin. His cousin. Know. Yeah, the, the reason I was mostly, I mean, at first I was, I was, you know, hooked on that trade because, because it was, you know, one Syracuse player breaking the news about another, um, and then it ends up that it involved my uh, my favorite team, the uh, the awful unwatchable New York Knickerbockers, who I'm currently tuning into in the background here as they're derping it up on the floor against the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, but yeah, the fact that the uh, the fact that the Knicks managed to just kind of dump off the salaries of uh, of Iman Shumpert and J.R. Smith for pretty much like three corpses um, and a second rounder to be named later uh, from the Cavaliers uh, while Deion Waiters head down to Oklahoma City. Um, and then again, J.R. and Shumpert head to um, Cleveland. It's a very uh, very wacky uh, trade. And I don't think Phil Jackson's done either because if we're going to lose like this, to be honest, you might as well just just blow the thing up and, and, and start getting some something back um, for some of these these roster pieces that aren't going to be there next year anyway. Yeah, I mean, when it first broke, uh, it looked like the way it was working out was, which made no sense, was that uh, JR was going to Cleveland, Dion was going to OKC, and Reggie Jackson was going somewhere, presumably the Knicks, which would have been a great thing for the Knicks. Yeah, it would have been great. Um, except that it was way too good to be true, and it turns out that uh, JR is going to Jan and Iman are going to the have uh, Dion Litter is going to the Thunder and the Knicks are getting nothing really. So three guys are going to win. Yeah, I guess uh, losing JR is a net positive. Uh, Iman could have been like a people thought he was going to be a superstar and he turns out he's just not. Um, so that's fine. And you're going to bottom out and try to you know fight with the. Sixers for futility, which is fine. Um, so I don't think it's the worst thing the Knicks have ever done. It's just kind of funny because uh, you really gave up uh, two players for absolutely nothing. So, but it's the NBA, so it's not the worst thing you can do. And I mean, honestly, like the more you look at it, too. I mean, as someone who follows the Knicks pretty closely, um, you know, Jr. had a player option for next year at six point three million dollars, which you know he had to on the court long enough. Yeah, of course he was going to take it because why wouldn't he? I would blame him for that. So, you know, the fact of the matter is he was going to take that. So that was $6.3 million you couldn't spend. Um, you know, Shump was a restricted free agent, is a restricted free agent this, uh, this coming summer. Um, and to be honest, like, if he doesn't do well with the Cavs, maybe he goes back to the Knicks anyway. So, like, the, the way I see it, this really isn't, isn't much of a loss. The season's going terribly anyway. Now we can actually, um, you know, bring in some of our, our guys in the D-League that may – it may need some burn, and it'd be great to see them, you know, in the NBA. Whether we want to, you know, continue their contract that's this year, um, I think getting Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, more shots is, is critical, and and obviously getting rid of two of the guards in, in our glut of guards um, definitely helps us out a ton. Like I said, I don't think Phil's done either. Um, I wouldn't doubt it if Calderon gets traded. Um, I know Dallenberg's getting released today, um, which will open up another roster spot. Uh, I'm pretty sure Prigioni stays, if only because of his age. Um, and then everybody else, I mean, I doubt you're going to find anyone who's willing to, like the NBA is not what it used to be, where you could just dump off a, a salary like uh, Bargnani's or, or Stoudemire for, for picks. Um, so we're probably going to ride it out with them. But, but I mean, who knows? You know, I, I, I'll, miss, I'll miss good Shumpert and I'll miss good uh, J.R., but those players were kind of, you know, so so mercurial that it's uh, you're really just kind of pining for things that rarely showed up. Yeah, and you know, it's easy to make fun of the Knicks as a non-Knicks fan. Um, but if I'm being realistic with myself uh, as a Brooklyn Nets fan, we're going to be like the seven seed, and we're going to be like the seven seed forever uh, at best. So while the Knicks are bottoming out, there's probably a better chance of the Knicks becoming good at some point soon than that. And the problem is that you're going to win like 10 games this year. And uh, as long as Knicks fans can, can stomach that, uh, it might all work out for the best. I, I think that Bill is probably making the right moves.
and uh, I assume the next move is shutting down Armella. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that, although I, I do hope I, one of my Christmas presents my wife got me was going to Phoenix to see the next Face of Sun, and that is going to be a miserable endeavor if Mello is not playing. <laughs> Yeah, that's going to be rough. Hey. At least, uh, I guess Phoenix is a nice place. I've never been. I don't know. It could be. Oh, yeah, I've never been to Arizona, so I'm uh, looking to check off another state. This will be this will be number 23 for me, and I've got numbers uh, 24 through 29 also on the docket this year. So we are we are flying through states now. I just haven't been very much out west. I've been to California once, and that's uh, about it. I've been to Texas, and that's those are the two far only states that are like outside of the Eastern Time Zone for the most part, except for like a brief stint in Kentucky. And See, Ohio, like for me, yeah, for me, I've had the 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 benefit of growing up on the East Coast, um, where you know you can get to every state pretty quickly. Um, and then the only one I have, by the end of the year, the only state I'll have not been to over there is Georgia. I've been in the airport in Atlanta a couple times, but I have not been to outside of the airport in Georgia. Oh, yeah. Uh, you haven't been to the ACL? Come on. You got to hit up Atlanta at some point. I know. Atlanta's I'm, great. Uh, I'm once again a disloyal idiot for, uh, for being an ACC fan who has not, not been to the, uh, the, the almost center of the conference. Um if you haven't been to yeah, a that, Waffle that's... House, you're really not an ACC fan, I don't think. I've been, I've passed so many Waffle Houses, and I have just oh, never they're, they're, they're tremendous. When we drove down to the ACC tournament last year, we, the first thing we did before we get sleep, because we drove the night, uh, was go to Waffle House, and that was not a bad decision. See, I'm in Texas enough where I really should go to one. I mean, I've been to Texas. I've been in the state of Texas for, like, the last four four years in a row, and like, and I've yet to end up at a Waffle House. So I feel like that's, you, you that's, can't, that's you can't go place. before like twelve thirty a.m. and you can't really go yeah. after like seven a.m. There's a, there's a, there's a fine true. window. Um, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, but it's so great when you show up at, at three a.m. after a night out in Atlanta and uh, and your friend doesn't know you know how to speak at a normal volume and the waitress thinks it's hilarious and you're eating your sadness of Syracuse losing in the final four away with lots of uh, fried potato. It's great. It's a good place. Um, apparently, Sean King is saying that a little birdie is telling him that Jameis Winston is staying in school. So, Sean King uh, <laughs> a really, really poorly informed uh, avian hipsters. <laughs> Those birds that you know, Sean King, are not – are not worth listening to because if if Jameis Winston stays in school, he he is in fact the dumbest person alive. Sean King's bird friends are the worst. Like Sean King needs better bird associates. Yeah, if if Jameis Winston stays, it would be such a mistake. Like for him, both personally and professionally, there's just there's too many Florida things. State, that... I, I think Florida State would would freak out. Because I think Florida State, like, put up with him knowing he's gone, like, probably this week. And Jameis just turned around and said, I think I'm going to play baseball and uh, go to class and, you know, see what else I can do while I'm on campus. Like, there's no way that school's cool with that. Like, they they were cool with it up until the point where he stopped winning, you know, every game he played in. But now, like, he has to go. There's There's no decision to be made. He has to go. No, no, no. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's, that's bad for them. It's bad for us too, actually, uh, because I really don't. No, but just under Braxton Miller and meet us, so it's fine. Uh, I doubt Braxton Miller goes. I think he goes to Oregon. To be honest, I hope he goes to Oregon. That'd be so much fun. Yeah, but I hate Oregon. Like their fans were were awful. I was oh really? Awful. It was yeah. Like they were terrible. Like the entitlement. Like. For all, all the fan bases that we like make fun of for like never accomplishing anything and like 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 they, they basically seem like Rutgers fans with like more success but still not ultimate success. Well, that's where that's what we'll find out soon. I mean, I kind of think of if, if well, if they win it all, the last go, time go for it. When was the last time we had a team win its first national championship? Was uh, it uh, quite a while ago? Might have been Florida State, actually. <laughs> 
Yeah. So that's what I'm kind of like. I'm interested to see what it's like to see a, a new team break into that club. Because I feel like college football could use, in a lot of different ways, could use a little more uh, interest and a little more inclusivity. Um, and Oregon's a, a, you know, I know people don't like Nike and don't like a lot of other things. Oregon's a pretty interesting success story because they built, like you said, they have no history to fall back on. And the things they've done are they're very They're a t-shirt obviously. <laughs> what? They're, they're, marketing, they're a marketing experiment. They're, they're, they're a yeah, t-shirt <laughs> no, like, the, the, that's the scary part. I, I just don't think it can work again. I, I think that I think that the t-shirt club, I think that you have one t-shirt club program in, in, in sports, and and they've they've established a blueprint that cannot be that cannot be duplicated. Um, I mean, I if you want to make a some kind of case, maybe Baylor ten years from now, if they can uh, keep it up. But I doubt I doubt Bryle stays. Um, I don't even think the Big 12 is going to exist anyway, um, so that might be problematic for them. Uh, <laughs> there's just a lot of things that, like, that could stand in Baylor's way. Um, Oregon is just kind of this this wacky T-shirt club that that managed to get enough members to fund itself into like this, you know, spaceship football program that that I don't think, you know, again, cannot be replicated. <laughs> Yeah, I don't – well, the problem is that there's only two other competitors and they're not, like – they're competitors to Nike, but they're not, like, equals. And Adidas – Under Armour has its school, but it's Maryland. I don't see Maryland ever being Oregon. And Adidas seems to have – like, Adidas is buying people. They're making moves. Like, they apparently are swiping Miami from Nike, which is pretty big, but it's still Miami. Like, it's the third biggest team in its own state. So, I guess, I mean, it seems like Adidas really like Louisville. Maybe Louisville, you know, gets a lot of love. But nothing's, gonna, nothing's going to compare to what no, what Oregon does to – or what Nike does for Oregon. Uh, and I agree with you there. I just do think it would be kind of fun to – I mean, I haven't experienced their fans or anything. But I, I do think it would be kind of fun to see a new a new uh, team get into that club of, of teams of national championships rather than seeing Ohio State get number eight. Like, I don't need to see Ohio State win it. Right. No, and I, I agree. To be honest, like I, I've always been, I've always disliked Ohio State, and I, I, I was always kind of lukewarm on Oregon until I, I saw them in action. Um, <laughs> but it, it, uh, a new team would be interesting. Um, and it's funny, you know, each time a new team wins something, um, I, I think it, it's not a shock to the system, and I think this is why college football is what it is. Um, you know, Baylor just wasn't ready to be in that conversation when Oregon got screwed over. Um, you know, back in the early part of last decade, it just wasn't their time yet. Baylor, it's not your time yet. Maybe it never is. Maybe it is one day. You know, Oregon, if they win it all on Monday, this will be, you know, something 15-plus years in the making um, for them. When Florida State won, that was something, you know, 10 to 12 years in the making for for that program. And, And once they were there, it was just accepted that they were a blue blood and that was it. And I think for Oregon, it will be the same way where we're used to them being in the conversation outside of maybe what one or two slips to around six and six or, or seven and five. I mean, that Oregon team has largely been in that top 10 to 15 conversation year in and year Perfect. out for a decade and a half. Yeah. The, the so real, kind of the culmination. The real, blow to the, the real blow to the established system would have been TCU. And it's now, you know, I, I obviously, it's hard to argue against Ohio State because they just beat Alabama without anything really ridiculous. Like, they beat them straight up. But TCU obviously has so much working against it in terms of what normally makes a great football program aside from its location. Um, and the fact they went 4-8 and eight last year, uh, that, that would have been the one that really shook things up. Um, hopefully they can rebound and, and have a similar season next year and get into the playoff because I do – you know, I really enjoy what that program does. But uh, that would have been the one that would have really been, uh, you know, Oregon has so many advantages. TCU has, they're in Texas, and they, that's about it. They have a great coach. So hopefully we get to see some more interesting teams like that pop into the conversation. Yeah, and, and again, I think it's all about the slow build. I mean, TCU has done a very good job over the last decade and a half, again, of establishing itself into something. But it, it also had to go from a lower point of, of, of start and, and much less, you know, 
um, financial advantages versus Oregon. Um, I, I think that Baylor would have been an even bigger shock to the system just because of their their history of utility. I mean, TCU has won something, even if it wasn't any time recently. Um, I think that TCU is probably going to get some first place votes if Ohio State wins. Um, I actually, I, I think, I think if with one team, if it's a very close game, I think I think TCU might grab some votes um, as number one. Um, I think that they're, I think they're a bona fide number two um, in the polls. I know the polls really don't mean as much anymore, slash anything, but I, I think you're going to see TCU finish second for the what second time in four years. Yeah, uh, they've been really. I mean, aside from last year, they've been. They've had some incredible years. The year they beat Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl, they won another BCS game after that, I believe. So it's it's they're not coming out of nowhere. It's just you know you you can do things. It's almost like as a mid major, you can pop into the BCS games and you kind of know that might be your ceiling, but you can get really up for them. This year, like people did not have TCU on the playoff radar at all, even though it was way more likely for them to make the playoff this year than it was for them to make the BCS as a as a Mountain West team. And, I mean, and the way in which they completely and thoroughly dismantled Ole Miss was was impressive. Um, oh, similar that was, to to that be was honest, unbelievable. Oh, it, it was a show. I mean, it was it was textbook. You know, not just how to not just how to win a game, but how to beat a very good opponent, and how to blow up what what it was one of the top ten to fifteen defenses in the country. Um, I mean, TCU's hallmark is defense, and and the defense helped them out quite a bit in that game. But um, you know where where they've they've taken that next level, and I really hope that they they continue to do so next year is um, is with that offense. Um, you know, Boykin's back. This is a team that's largely going to stay intact, um, especially compared to their main competition in Baylor. Um, and, and I really like TCU as a as a potential um, playoff contender right off the bat next year. And they returned, I think, a good amount of that defense. And Boykin, Boykin wasn't very good last year. Boykin should continue to, to really get better. Like, there's no reason why he can't take another step. No, no, I, I mean, I, I think, to be honest, he, he spent most of this year kind of a sleeper uh, hyphen candidate, if not for maybe like a game or two um, here or there that, that just didn't, you know, not go his way. I mean, he only lost one game, and it was because of one bad quarter. But uh, I, I think he's probably your odds-on favorite for the Heisman Trophy next year. Yeah, he and, and the Ohio State quarterback situation is so strange. One of those guys, uh, Braxton Miller, wherever he winds up, will probably be talked about. Um, and there's a couple others, but it's it's an interesting one. I, I'm I'm excited. Uh, I'm also excited because I think not to like belabor this point, maybe it's a huge you know non-Syracuse podcast, but I think Ohio State doing well might actually end up helping those who hope that the playoffs is expanded uh, sooner rather than later. That and the fact that these two first semifinal games did unbelievably well ratings-wise. There's no reason not to add another two games. Like, total. Not two yeah, games. I, I, I completely agree there. Um, I wouldn't doubt it, to be honest, that there was a... I mean, I don't think there's going to be more teams added before the end of this contract. Um, so that is, like, 10 to 12 years from now. Um I, I I would think that we'd see an expansion to six before before we saw an expansion to eight. But hey, I mean I I I don't think we can really predict these things at this point. Yeah. I think either six or eight is fine. I, I I don't know if I ever want to go past that because I, I don't think you need more than eight, but I think either one of those is a good solution. Agreed. All right, I think that's a good place to end it. And we had a nice mix of, of Syracuse, of college football playoffs. I think that was that was good for everyone as we get back into the swing of things in this new year. For sure. And then, you know, well, now we get to see Jameis Winston next year because of uh, Sean King's birdie. So that's big news for the Florida State uh, listeners. <laughs> Indeed. All right. So I guess on that note um, – Dan, thanks as always for joining. Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, I'm John. That was Dan. You've been listening to Troy Noons. It's an absolute podcast. Um, 
here on whatever device or whatever um, software you decided to go with, whether that was Blog Talk Radio or iTunes, you can subscribe to us on either one of those, maybe both if that's something you're into. Um, be sure to like us, comment, review, whatever. Um, it does help us out. Um, yeah, we'll see you next week. Hopefully, uh, hopefully coming off two more Syracuse wins. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000-square-foot showroom is Court-certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.